Chapter 8, Hardiness. Writing this reflection on the last seven years may be shocking to some, tame to others. There are probably women and men who have never had sex outside of a committed relationship. I was once one of those. I already mentioned growing up under the Rose Doctrine. I'd accepted it without question. Certain purity would lead to marital bliss. After being engaged, I'd succeeded in waiting till my senior year of college to have sex. I said yes to the man kneeling before me on the rooftop of a beautiful building downtown, the skyline of Houston providing the perfect backdrop. He'd said, marry me. I believe in family, our family. I'll do whatever it takes to take care of you, of our kids. I'll make something of myself. I pictured till death do us part. I never guessed that in the next six years, I'd file police reports, gain a protective order, and this kneeling man would be in jail charged with a felony related to his abusive behavior. The Rose Doctrine gave no guidance besides picking a good Christian man who valued my chastity. Back then, I didn't know that the chauvinism and patriarchy that supports the idea of women as fragile flowers, only valuable when untouched, would also want them subservient, obedient, unquestioningly silent. It would want them harnessed to whatever square of land allotted, choiceless, voiceless. Divorce the first and the second, not only meant a change of title, but a reclaiming of my power, my sexuality, my freedom. Exploring for the first time at 43 what many explored in their 20s, sexual expression, flirtatious freedom from repression. I married and soon became a mother of twins. Parenthood was the focus as it should have been. Still, now that my kids were grown and leaving the nest, I was free to go on my own quest of self-discovery, set my own parameters for fulfillment, and ultimately my own standards for romantic success. I'd been given one barometer, marriage. I'd done that twice, put my all into it twice, poured my faith, money, time, energy, prayer, service, lay my body, brain, and soul on the altar as a sacrifice to, I do. But he, they, didn't. They asked me to marry, made the promise to love, honor, cherish, and didn't. The first time I blamed myself, aren't women trained to do that? It did not matter that his rap sheet was 12 pages long. I had chosen wrong. I had misread flags. I needed to choose better. So I read books, went to church, attended divorce recovery counseling and support groups. I worked on myself exclusively for one and a half years. And at the end, I had a list on my wall of 10 character traits. Write the vision and make it plain. Qualities like maturity, self-control, great communication skills, respect, great work ethic, responsibility, and more. But not one word about passion, intimacy, affection. Like many women, I took those for granted. Sexual compatibility was a given. If I just did my part, the physical would work itself out. The Rose Doctrine promised that. In 2003, I knew nothing about the five love languages. But after my second divorce in 2014 and more therapy, I learned Drew's language was acts of service and mine, physical touch. His acts of service were appreciated but did not make me feel loved. And my need for physical touch seemed like a spoiled girl's longing for unnecessary luxuries to him. I'd done as I was told. Waited almost till marriage, married, had kids, been a good wife and mother, 
But looking back, it seemed that I had been trained to live by a different set of rules and standards than my husband. I remembered vividly the argument that led to my first divorce, the first time I'd cussed anyone out. I can't believe you have the audacity to say that you're a great husband. I hurled these words at my mate as I sat on the sofa. It was amazing that five years of marriage and three years of conflict had come down to this statement. He had no clue what it took to be a good husband and would never change regardless of how much I said or how much time passed. Suddenly, the choice was clear. I'm a great husband, he had said. I just need to keep a job, control my temper, and my language. Wow, how low his standards were. I wouldn't dare say I was a great wife because the house was not immaculate. There were dishes covered in soapy water and bottles in the sink. The twins' toys lay sprawled across the tan carpet decorated with sprinkles of graham cracker crumbs. Hamburger Helper served our meals, and I was not the same size or shape he married. How could we define great so differently? If he was a great husband, then we must have a great marriage, and that description of us could keep my side in stitches for weeks. After he made that statement, I'd lost my temper for the first time in my life, and I went off on him for two hours, two full hours, listing every way that he was not a great husband. I didn't care about his reaction, and I think he was too stunned to even react. His docile, silent wife, who always walked on eggshells trying to keep him happy, was cussing him out, telling him his failures in vivid detail. Great. Marriage was supposed to be great. Love, sublime, commitment, the goal. Although marriage and parenthood definitely gave me a sense of purpose and joy, these last seven years of being single are where I found my greatest happiness, my thirst for life and personal growth. J.J., Gatsby, Harley, The Muse, San Antonio, and a few others you'll meet were pivotal in that process. 147 dates, eight lovers, and over 300 poems, two articles, three books, 60 shows, four workshops, 60 podcast episodes, three businesses, and a multitude of products I designed filled my life during this time. My imagination was bursting as if somehow leaving behind the traditions, roles, religion, and repression of my youth led to a nexus of unending content. Prior to my second divorce, I'd had three publications and nothing else, not even an inkling to create anything else. My married life was a rut, a circle of same shit, different day. Now, no two days were alike. No two dates were alike. No two dalliances were alike. All was new, and in the new, all seemed possible. I'd taken providing satisfaction in my own hands. Once I'd been the flower waiting to be plucked. Now I was the florist. After Gatsby stood me up that day, I was single once again. I was writing poetry regularly and I added something new to combat the increased stress at work, performing at open mics. I was writing a lot in a really good place mentally, emotionally, content. One day I went out to happy hour at a Mexican cafe. A guy sat next to me. We started chatting about nothing, everything, life. And then some black couple commercial caught his eye and he said, I've never had that. What? Support from a black woman, acceptance, respect, encouragement. I waited for the punchline. There wasn't one. You're serious. Never? He shook his head. 
I'm sorry, I said. That really sucks. On behalf of black women everywhere, I apologize. Everybody deserves those things in a relationship. If your partner isn't willing to give them, why are they even in a relationship to begin with? We went our separate ways, but the conversation bothered me. I'd met JJ on one site, San Antonio on another, and Gatsby on a third. I'd gotten invited to tango by one of my dates and never left. It wasn't a dating app, just a Facebook-esque site with video chatting capabilities. I started posting my poetry there. That night, I posted this poem. Letter to the Black Man God made you and broke the mold. Who else is so fearless and bold? In dreads and beards and glasses too, the universe whirls like your dew. Your smile so bright a thousand suns bow before your silver tongue. You rap, you rhyme, language is new. Shakespeare stands in awe of you. You walk and women stop and stare. Gray sweatpants make the panties bare. The secret garden held within, you know the power of your grant. Your voice, a bass, beats like a drum. Your muscles ripple in the sun. Nothing on earth compares to you. You are divine spark given hue. You breathe and the whole world suspends. You dance and the whole world joins in. You are wisdom with your grays and gnarls. You are candor with your beats and bars. Your business savvy hustle too. They planted you like seeds you grew. You're massive, but you're still a man. I can hold you in my loving hands. I can knead your shoulders, bring you wine, love you down if you are mine. You are a pleasure head to toe, richer than Midas, purest gold. Just wanted you to know I miss the grandeur of your warmest kiss. Your hands so rough yet gentle too. Did I say how much I adore you? In all your shades and all your hues from lightest tan to blackest blue, you enrich my every day. I love to hear the words you say. You've pissed me off a time or two, but there's magic in all you do. I love you. Not ashamed to shout. You're beautiful without a doubt. I went to bed and awoke to dozens of friend requests, shares, comments, and some phone numbers. For a minute, I thought I'd slid into someone else's account. Guys were responding to a poem? They read it? I responded to the comments, and yes, they had read the poem. Talked at length about what they liked. Thanked me for it. It was weird. Unexpected. I had fans. They went back and read all my other poems, and three of them asked me out. I looked at their pages, very handsome guys, local. Looked at their comments, intelligent. I wasn't on a dating site. Hadn't posted a profile, wasn't even really advertising that I was single or available. And a poem, or some poems, had brought me prospective dates. I didn't even know if I wanted to date. I still felt a little like I was trying to purge Gatsby from my system. I still felt absolutely no closure on that debacle that happened when I gave him what he wanted and still got the same result. When people show you who they are, believe them the first time, Maya Angelou said, but after two plus years of knowing him, I still didn't feel I knew who he was. He was so utterly contradictory. For about a month, I got to know three of these fans. I called them my three musketeers. We talked on the phone. That was all. 
That was more than enough for me. I didn't really want anything else. Then the Christmas season arrived. In a day, I'd be off for two weeks. I was looking forward to it. Maybe I'd go on a date with one of the three musketeers. I had also reactivated my Plenty of Fish profile the night before because I'd be off for two weeks. But maybe I wouldn't even look at it. I might actually click with one of the musketeers. Either way, the respite from work was what I was longing for. My phone rang at 1 a.m. Groggily, I answered, Hello? Miss J, you need to come to the Exxon on 1960. Your son's been in an accident in your car. My car's outside. No, it's up here on 1960. I pulled on a robe and walked outside my house to an empty driveway. An hour before I had told my son he couldn't use my car. It was too late. He'd lost his license. He didn't need to go get pancakes from Denny's. There was food in the kitchen. My car was gone. My son was not in the house. And my neighbor said he'd been in a wreck, but he was okay. I called an Uber. Once I saw he was okay, I wasn't. The car that I was going to pay off in three more payments was totaled. He was lucky to be alive. He'd fallen asleep at the wheel, narrowly missed a gas pump, and hit a small palm tree. While I was grateful that he was uninjured except for a sprained ankle, I knew I would be digging myself out of this ditch literally and figuratively for years to come. First, dealing with the insurance company. I did have full coverage, but he wasn't a covered driver. Getting another car and starting over from scratch to pay it off. I had no savings. Depending on what, if anything, I got from the insurance, I'd have to rob Peter to pay Paul to scrape up a down payment. And how was my credit? Decent. Not stellar. Not to mention my car insurance payments would skyrocket for years. No more relaxing Christmas holiday for me. I'd be lucky if two weeks was long enough to sort this mess out. I pulled what I could from the rubble of the car and went home. When my son arrived after being thoroughly interviewed by the officers, I told him that he had betrayed my trust. I didn't know how to sleep in a house with someone who might again take off in my vehicle in the middle of the night, and I didn't feel I should have to lock my bedroom door or sleep with my keys under my pillow. I told him, you can't stay here anymore. Call your dad, your other relatives, your friends. You need to find somewhere else to live. He was 22, a grown man. He'd made a grown man's decision and needed to accept the consequences. Right on schedule, my phone rang. It was evening. My three musketeers were checking on me. I didn't want to talk at all. But eventually, each drugged the story out of me. I was stunned, hurt, scared, overwhelmed. They wanted to make it better, buy me a drink. Had I eaten? I didn't want to eat or drink. And I didn't for about three days. I just made calls and tried to fix the mess. And then, finally, I went out. Day four. Date 43. Nolens. Like me, he was from Louisiana. This country boy was sweet, direct, manly, mannish, and very concerned. He made me laugh when I wanted to cry. Took me out two days in a row until he became so aggressive sexually I never saw him again. I'd been calling, surfing the internet, and physically walking into car dealerships. The insurance company had paid off my car. They covered my son. I had $1,000 total. A few hundred left from the payoff, 800 I scrambled to put together to find something drivable. I felt stuck. I felt humble. I would have been on the bus if any bus lines were near me. I'd forgotten what it was like to be without a car 
for one setback to knock out years of progress, it was humiliating, terrifying, and made me feel more vulnerable than any one event in my life ever had. Enter Red. Red was probably the sweetest guy I ever met. I loved talking to him even more than San Antonio, and that should tell you everything. There was only one problem. Well, two. Bread hated bread, my favorite food, and was abstinent, not partaking in my favorite stress relief. Date 44. Even though I had once been abstinent, I didn't understand bread. I really want to date you, but you should know I'm abstinent, he'd said. You're kidding, right? I replied, alternating between feeling grateful that it was too early in our interaction for me to have had any fantasies about him and being pissed that he had in one sentence rendered this date pointless. I was at a point when I had enough male friends, remote and long distance true, but with years of contact with me. I was only dating to find Mr. Wright or Mr. Wright for the foreseeable future. Both those titles came with a sexual requirement. Whoa, that question sounded awfully intense. That pisses you off? He asked. Of course it does. I mean, it's your body and all, and I'm not upset because I expected us to have sex, but you're wasting your virility. For nine years, I was married to an impotent man. He couldn't get and keep erections, and you are wasting this time that you can get them being abstinent. 50% of men over 40 have erectile dysfunction, low testosterone, or premature ejaculation, but you're perfectly healthy and just putting yourself on ice. For what? I've had plenty of sex. I'm tired of it meaning so little. You can't understand that? I nodded. I could. I know the risk, he said. I'm taking care of myself, healthy diet, exercise. I'll be fine. And if not, it's still worth it. That's what I hear. I pursed my lips and shrugged. You do? I see so many Facebook posts on abstinence that it's mind boggling. Why the fascination? Before joining singles groups, it was not a topic I'd even thought about since college. Adults have sex, just like they do a million other adult things. Reading these posts, I wonder, number one, are some men so insecure sexually that they want a woman to have forgotten what sex feels like and be happy with anything? Number two, do some men believe a woman can only be tight if she abstains? Number three, why do some people seem to act as if abstinence is the only measure of virtue? Number four, why will some hang their faith on this issue as if every other transgression that impacts mind, body, and soul evaporates if one is abstinent. Number five, why do some people act as if they lose the ability to evaluate the person once sex is involved? I mean, Gatsby had asked me if I was ready before we had sex the first time, and I really wasn't ready for the intensity of our chemistry's effect on me, but it didn't take away my ability to see his flaws. They still showed quite clearly, I thought. Number six, some people will have great sex lives till they die. Others will hit middle age and have all types of sexual issues. Abstinence is banking on something that will never come for some women and men, marriage or a serious committed relationships. Abstinence also has been known to increase the likelihood of sexual problems in the marriage. Two people with repressed drives coming together expecting fulfillment who have no idea what the other likes and whether they can provide it is a recipe for disaster. They also have no idea if their unleashed sex drives will be compatible or if they've wasted their prime sexual years on abstinence. But this abstinence scenario seems to be touted as a solution for everything. It's very interesting. 
like watching people who claim to eat only raw food try to convert omnivores. Well, this omnivore knows how to diet, fast, and enjoy a damn good meal when one I really want is being served. I realized I was pontificating and fell silent. He smiled. That's a trigger for you. Yeah, one day I'll think about those nine years and shrug. That day is not today. You know, I really like you. He nodded and looked sheepish. I think this is going to be the first time a woman has told me she doesn't want to see me again on date one. It usually takes longer. I looked away. It hurt a little. Meeting someone I really liked who had a deal breaker. Even worse than that, a deal breaker that pissed me off. There was no way on this planet I would ever date him. But by the end of the date, I was glad we met. Even though he sent his plate back because it arrived tarnished by a slice of garlic bread, we still had a great time. Of all the men I met, he's the one I still miss sometimes. The conversations were legendary, but we couldn't be friends. Or in other words, I wouldn't let us remain in contact because I wanted to seduce him. Ace hit his stride in week two. I was full-on depressed. I'd gotten more doors slammed in my face at car dealerships than I had even believed possible. I needed a particular payment had a low down payment, and wasn't trying to pay an arm and a leg for a vehicle. No one wanted to work with me. Ace was sort of a poet, a rapper, so beautiful women looked twice, a two-time felon, making money by being a medical guinea pig, a test subject for drug trials. He paid his bills on the gig economy. Hotshot driver, handyman, you name it, he did it. Industrious, trying to build his life back up, After a stint inside, he was philosophical, fiery, poetic, and utterly magnetic and young, 32 to my 48. Date 45. Ace and I met at Subway, and I had to be the worst company on the planet at first. Angry, bitter, depressed, quiet, you name it, I was probably it. I hadn't even wanted to meet him. He called, asked where I was. I told him Subway, not thinking it meant anything. And he used the Find Your Friends Raider on the app to find which one I was at. Had I been in my right mind, I probably would have freaked out. But I wasn't. I was totally in my emotions. And this beautiful man walked in. I didn't even realize it was him at first because I didn't really believe the picture he'd posted online was him. It didn't do him justice. At all. I had no makeup on, shorts, a t-shirt, tennis shoes, a cap. He acted like I was Miss America, raved about my poetry, made me forget that once he jetted off to his next delivery, I was walking home. He made me laugh, and before I walked home, I stopped, took out my phone, and captured my latest fantasy. Fire and ice. He said, how can I distress you? I smile. Say, here's what you can do. Start right here, hands on my ass, clothes disappear. Now I relax. Take your time so sensually. Dip once, twice, thrice inside of me. Then stop and linger. Meditate. Traveling fingertips cross my face. Kiss me deeply, then resume. Pull me close, dress hard. My thoughts consume. Take both hands and palm my chest. Knead softly the nipples of each breast. Kiss my neck. Moan, grunt. Crave more. Flip me over, now explore. Face down, ass up, rhythm resume. My nails dig 
into pillow plumes. I bite my lip, look back and smile, throw it back, show you my style. I flip over, now I ride, slick thighs, slide, grind, slide. I'm having fun, sex is a game. A bite, a slap, I call your name. We've tried three positions, time for four. Reverse cowgirl or scissor, want more. I'm nonchalant with sex half rate, but great sex, I will fill my plate. Come back for seconds, maybe thirds, till sore and satisfied I purr. You asked what you can do for me, I answered. Now, let's wait and see. Will it get done? I'd like to know. I hope the question wasn't rhetorical. Because I need an answer, real, pure pleasure I can feel. I'm craving fire, so warm and nice. Don't give me unsatisfying ice. It's cold outside. I need your heat. Warm flames would make me feel complete. Now I have a question back. Are you fire or are you an ice pack? He was definitely fire and fun. Once, when I was still car shopping and he was without a vehicle because he had no pending deliveries, he walked two miles just to see me. He introduced me to The Wire, which we binge watched from the beginning over the next three months. Two miles of walking just to watch TV with me. Netflix and chill before there was even such a thing. He made one of the most stressful times of my life bearable, a time I look back on with the fondest memories. And when he asked me to be his woman... I declined. You're here, but your family is in San Antonio, your ex, your kids, I said in explanation. She doesn't want me, he replied. I actually don't believe that. From everything you've told me, she sounds hurt and doubtful you've changed, not done with you. I don't want to put myself out there and get rejected. Bullshit, you just did it with me. You're not destroyed because I said no. All she can do is say no but at least you'll know for sure. And if she says, yes, you've got your family back. These discussions have begun on New Year's Eve when he wanted to start his new year, 2018, with me, a woman who accepted, supported, encouraged the new him. But I didn't know the old him. I just knew the gorgeous, brilliant intellectual who'd made bad choices, had two felonies and was rebuilding his life. The romantic, sweet, generous lover who doted on me. But he was a father. And he wasn't as active in his kids' lives as I would have liked him to be. And that was not cool with me. My kids were not going to be replacements for the ones he was not raising. So I encouraged and motivated him to go back to his ex and his kids. I actually thought that might have been the reason we met. And when they reunited and he left my life for good, I was glad. It felt right. It was spring. Love was in the air and I was alone again. Ace had gotten me hooked on Netflix. I was done with a wire and I ran across a new to me series on cable. She's got to have it. I had never watched the movie, but I liked the series. Nola Darling was refreshing. A heroine unlike any I'd seen before. Unapologetically herself. Her sexual freedom was mind-blowing. I thought back over the first day of each of the last four years, 2015, JJ, 2016, The Muse, 2017, Harley, 2018, Ace, and before that, the first lover after my divorce, JJ. Five men in five years. Nothing compared to Nola Darling. Maybe a week for her, 
but she did not live in the world I lived in, the world with the Rose Doctrine. I flash back to college, orientation, freshman year. I had been a shy high school student, an introvert. Now I was away from home. I wanted to be outgoing, popular. I remember smiling big and introducing myself to anyone and everyone, and suddenly there was a rumor about me. Me, the virgin! Though they didn't know that. I wasn't exactly publicizing it. What was the rumor? I was too friendly. I smiled too big. I must be easy. Since when did a smile and an introduction translate to promiscuity? Apparently in East Texas at an HBCU. Nola Darling never got called easy or fast or promiscuous or told to know her worth in any episode I ever saw. At 24, engaged, I had sex for the first time. What was it like to live in a world where a woman dressed as she wanted, smiled, was friendly, and even sexual, and that was considered okay? I'd never seen that world. When I was a virgin, I was accused of holding out, being a cock tease, solely to try to manipulate and control men. But then later, when I was sexually active, men who weren't sleeping with me, who wanted to date me, were angered that I was single and not abstinent. They wanted to know how long it had been since I'd had sex. Who with was he still around? They claimed my being sexual was solely to try and manipulate men. Huh? Damned if I do. Damned if I don't. So early in this dating period, I decided I could not, would not choose to have or not have sex based on some man's, often some stranger's, assessment of what I should do. I was not going to fall into the quicksand of ever-changing rules. You need to be married. In a committed relationship, dating, it couldn't be a first date, but you couldn't have a 90-day rule either. If you were sexually active, dating, talking, that meant exclusivity. I declined it all. My body, my choice. He, they, could think what they wanted and spout off their pronouncements. I had the final say. I'd followed the Rose Doctrine almost to the letter, and it hadn't paid off. So now, I was a lawgiver when it came to my body. Now my body count was up by five, with no engagement in sight. But I wasn't looking for a ring, a marriage certificate, or a new last name now. Marriage was still appealing. Maybe the third time's the charm, the ideal final destination. But now, the lesson seemed to be... Lesson eight, enjoy the journey, eat the fruit, drink the wine, carpe diem. 